She could skate like a comet, he remembered. She was not afraid to skate where the ice was thinnest. She was the best dancer. She was the best girl basketball player in the entire county. She made the most baskets. She rooted for the team, making us win when we were losing. She was first in everything, taking the first prize every time. She was first in love, and now you say she's first in death, too? First in the hearts of her countrymen, she never took a second prize. She never got married. Perhaps it's reasonable, though. She has never compromised, Madge accused. Skate like a comet? Yes, she'll skate right into that old ice hole. How you imagine these things, she said, as eagerly as if it were not she who had perhaps suggested them. She's changed. She walks with a crutch. She leans on your arm, and you would never know if somebody did not tell you it was the old girl you used to love, your old flame that burned so cold. Her hair is gray. How do you dream not knowing that time passes? Two years for her, five months for me. She has been going now for more than two years. You know, she's never far out of your mind. So I am telling you now, while you are still here for me to tell you, You'll be going over the hill with that old Jackie and the pallbearers carrying her all the way to her grave. And they'll be going over the hill next week following her. It's your funeral. Well, why not? He grudgingly asked. They were the dancers who danced with her, just as you said. I heard you before. Why do you always repeat what you said when I heard you distinctly the first time? I'm not deaf. She is never in my mind. That was his way of saying, of course, that she was never out of his mind, he guessed. He did not think consciously of her. He thought of her when he was not thinking. It was like the sunlight and the wind and the rain, all like those things he never thought of. Things he did not have to remember, for they were always going on somewhere, and even without his help. <clears throat> you don't have to think, he said, of everything you think of in this life. She probably never gives me a thought. She was the forgetting kind. She lived for the present moment only, and always will live for the present moment. The sky never asks me when it wants to rain, wants to snow. I cannot make the wind stop blowing. Just when Madge resurrected Jacqueline, then did she, he suddenly remember her, the beautiful girl she had always been, would always be in his forgetful heart. She would be beautiful in his eyes, when she was buried under the leaves, under the snow, under the falling of the rain. She would never change. She had heard the girl cheerleader at the old football games and the crowds roared, roared with her, and that was why he had kicked the football. He had kicked the ball clear over the stars. She excelled in all the sports and was the best girl athlete I ever knew, he said, next to Tom Cricket. Remember him? And yet her bones were fragile. She was a girl who knew how to toss the ball and make you run a mile under it. She wasn't strong like you. Oh, it breaks my heart. What for would I want to stay away from her now, if she's dying the way you say she is, and if the sunlight is fading from her eyes, if she can't even make another basket or jump another fence or go anywhere but to her grave? Shouldn't we all be kind to her? Shouldn't her last hour be the happiest she ever knew? She had not been proud. She had been aloof. She had loved life just the way he did. It had always seemed to him that she had always had a good time, running around with all the other fellows from midnight till dawn and dawn till midnight. No one ever knew when she had slept. <clears throat> she had never shown her preference for him, unless it was by ignoring him, he thought now. And that was especially true after they had died together in the class play, 
after he had kissed her and cried over her tomb and nearly forgotten his lines. After he had died, someone had had to throw cold water in him to bring him back to life. He had passed out. She was just affable and gay and spirited, treating all the boys the same, all as equals to each other. She never thought of, the, of them or of herself in all her life. No one had ever known whom she had loved, for she had never spoken, and so they had all loved her. Perhaps she had loved no one, for perhaps she had not yet awakened to life when they knew her, and they had not awakened. Wouldn't it be a good idea if she is dying to have a class reunion, he asked. Shouldn't we invite everyone who was graduated from the class? We could not invite Tom Cricket, of course. He's dead, and besides, he did not graduate. He died two or three years ago, it seems to me. But maybe he has graduated now. Maybe he has got his diploma over there and taken first honors as the first in his class. Though mathematics was always so hard for him, especially algebraic equations, and he failed in Latin. Still, what difference does that make? We could not invite Timothy Grackle. He's dead. We could not invite Bob Tucker, of course. He's in Louisville. Where? Madge sadly asked, showing probably more surprise, more horror than at any other time, as if there was something she really could not comprehend. Louisville, the boy sadly replied, shaking his head. It's too long a journey for anyone to make. We could not invite little Jack Fleet. He's gone to the Upper Michigan Peninsula. Old Bill Roberts has gone to Australia, I heard now. I heard it some time ago. We could not invite poor Archibald. You keep on like this, Madge said with her voice high and shrill. Pretty soon you'll have name the whole class. We cannot ask poor Archibald's brother, poor Theobald, the boy continues if he had not heard her. He is back there in the pottery town. He told me last week he never would go home. I saw him only last week, and I would never would have known him if he had not spoken first. He used to be brick red, but now he is white as snow. He's working in the flour mill. He's making flour. He used to make bricks. He's a flour miller now, and he's covered with flour from head to his feet. There was flour in his eyelids and flour on his eyelashes, flour on his cheeks, his mouth, his chin, and flour streaking his clothes with long white streaks and flour in his shoelaces. He looked like his ghost, flour falling all around him and in the dark air. I surely was surprised when he said he was Theobald. You and your immortality, Mitch seemed to feel as if all things were fading in the air. She shivered in her coat, her glass beads jangling. It is not the flour mill. It is the dust of the pottery. If you do not know Theobald, how will you, how will you know her? If you cannot remember the living, how will you know the dead when you see them again, I ask you? Oh, the brevity of life. The oldest glass blower told me that life would be short, a rose fading in the summer air. He told me that you will never pluck last summer's rose. I never knew until now how short life was. So what is your immortal love if you have already forgotten her? Will you remember me when I am gone? She was not like you, Madge. She would not notice if I was not there. She never looked forward to the future the way you do. And she never lived in the past. She was light-hearted. She could jump the highest fence, landing always on her feet. No one ever helped her. Jump the highest fence? There you are again. Was he dreaming again, Madge asked. If he thought the two years had not gone by, thumping with wounded wings, that the girl he loved was not two years older and hobbling toward her early grave, or being carried there by all the boys, the dreaming football team of which he was the only one who would have been away all this time, she, could, she would take the baseball boys too, and the old river crowds. 
Don't let me see you pushing her around that dance floor home of Cape Horn. You will die if ever you dance with her. I will die if you leave me, sure as God made little owls. Then don't be jealous. We are all going to the same place in the end. Some might go before others, but we will all wind up in the same old river town. Why must he avoid an old sweetheart if she was really dying, as Madge said? If Jacqueline was really breathing her last in the spring of this cold, dead year, and soon would be no more, not even the memory if there would be no one who remembered her. It was true, women dreamed too much, imagining things which were not there, and sometimes they brought them to life. Sometimes they made them happen, just by imagining. He would never have thought of leaving Madge, not now, on their happy honeymoon, or even long years afterwards. It was Madge who thought of leaving him. She was jealous, it seemed to him, of an old love never touched one which had never been realized and had broken no heart except her own, a love which had no mortal issue. She was jealous of many persons she had not known and even of his old mother who had lost her husband, and such jealousy was, an unre was as unreasonable as life after death, for the dead should not be jealous. The living should not be jealous of the dead. The dead did not love. If Madge had not wanted him to remember Jacqueline, that flame which had burned so bright and brief, why had she mentioned the past, blowing the dead sparks to life and making the dead ashes glow? It was just a little firefly girl. Why did Madge continually remind him of a girl he had always loved from a distance and had never touched, never got close to because of the great crowds? A girl who had always been too much a part of him. It was not even one of those great romances you read about in books. It was just an old puppy love affair, Homer said, smiling and sad. She was the most popular girl in the senior class, and she was always surrounded by the boys, the other fellows, even when she was beautiful. I remember her poodle dog haircut. Madge, you were older than we were. You were already broken by life. You were already gone. I came last. I was the last man with her, even as with my wife, Madge. So what is there to end me now? She was the president when I was the vice president of the senior class. She was the girl cheer cheerleader when I was the captain of the football team. When I was making all the touchdowns and carried on the shoulders of the crowd and when I passed out because somebody kicked me. But I never did get over the line with her. No more than with you after I married you for better or worse and in the eyes of God. Or else I just seemed to always kick the ball too far away out of the field. The umpire said it was a game which should not be counted. No one ever read Jacqueline's mind or knew what she thought. You see, he continued patiently, his voice fumbling and slow. It was this way. She was all of us, and she was none of us. We elected her to be immortal. She was Abraham Lincoln's sweetheart, and Lincoln's mother afterwards, and Jenny Lind, and was going to have the most brilliant future of anyone who graduated, and was going to be a great singer, for it was written in the unhuman stars a long time ago. Her star would never go out. She was going to sing in a great choir, Little Sir Echo, how do you do, how do you do? Yet she had never been ambitious at all, and things had just seemed to come to her without her asking. She had won a prize when she had not entered a contest. I remember her better now, he said. As time goes on, her poodle dog haircut, those short curls that were always lifting in the wind. She wore a t-shirt, and she was always up in front cheering the team when we panted. I never got off home base with her. I never made a homer. It was the same with bas basketball. I missed the basket. It was the same with skating on the frozen river. I missed the hole. 
She led you on. Her skin was dark. Her hair was chestnut brown, streaked with darker streaks. And now you say it's streaked with gray, but I do not believe what I cannot see. She wore a yellow evening gown. She carried the yellow tube roses at the commencement and gave the class speech. She chose the class motto, To thine own self be true, and it will follow us the day of the night thou canst not then be false to any man. Maybe she will still maybe she still will be a great star, you never know. Takes time to work out destiny and things don't happen just overnight, you know. He said as if he were enunciating a very important truth which only he had discovered, but perhaps he had just discovered it. She was a fast ball. Maybe she still won't be a great star. Time has already passed, Madge said. Time has gone has done a lot of things to Jackie in this time you've been gone. If you loved her so much, why did you leave her? Do you think she thinks of you? You're a slow ball. She was a fast ball. Do you think she remembers what you look like or who you were or were not? Probably, he said. Probably and probably not. If Jacqueline had forgotten him, he still would think of her. He had not asked to be remembered. Had he ever said that he had loved her in a fleshy or earthly way any more than, of course, all the old boys had always loved her? The athletes had loved her because she cheered for them when they were rolling in the mud, when they were running in the rain and snow. She was the mascot of the team. She brought them all good luck and many wreaths of gold or silver or bronze, many silver loving cups, many banners, many trophies of football and hunting and field and stream and river. She had led all the boys to victory, yet never had been herself the victor over anyone. Never had asked for triumph. She had been so small, a tiny, thin bone girl. No wonder if he was always crying out her name. Jacqueline, Jacqueline, he said with his tongue thickening. And it was her spirit he remembered anyhow, not her body, not something of the flesh as Madge thought. It was something that could not be defined. It was like his youth, his life, his love. Though the flesh might wither and die, even as the grass, the flowers of the fields, the spirit could not die, it seemed to him. You know very well that the soul always does triumph over the body, the preacher said when he married us. You know you can't prove anything in this life or the next. Death comes to every wedding feast. The bride is that poor skeleton who wears a wedding veil to hide her naked skull. Her eyes burn like flames. You do not know who she is. The bridegroom is the skeleton, Madge said. It's just the other way around. There had always been, it seemed to him, something about Jackie that had been more beautiful than life, something more beautiful than this existence as if she had already transcended it like a wandering star, something elusive and far away, so there would never be any change. There would never be any sudden transformation. She would be beautiful, even when she was old and gray and withered, for he would see her as she had been in his eyes, not as she was. No lover saw a lady as she was. Besides, what was more beautiful than an aging face through which one saw the face that one had loved? In fact, he always would believe in his heart and not... In fact, he always would believe in the best and not the worst. He was not like Match. The boy, sighing, was half asleep again, his pale eyelids trembling, his red face smiling lingeringly with the thought of an unbaffled time when there had not been these complications and these amazing rivals, when he had never thought perhaps of Jacqueline or Madge, he had thought only of his mother, and of his father who had gone with the dogs. Why awaken him when there were so many miles yet to go, so many curves to turn upon a turning road, and the old dogs were baying? 
She was always going to do something unusual, he said. Maybe she still will. Nothing would surprise me. Maybe she still won't. The unusual things have all been done to her, and she's not the same girl she was, the girl you used to know. Perhaps you never knew her. You would not recognize her now if I did not tell you. Death is catching up with her. Death stole away her beauty, which she never had. She'll have to pay for all her past sins she never sinned, just when she's already broke, too. Yes, that's what hurts, Madge said. Even though you spent all your life without loving anyone, you die for love. No one escapes. Everyone pays the piper. Time had done a lot of things to old Jacqueline in these two years or more he had been away, evading the responsibility for human love. Time had broken her. Old Jacqueline, for one thing, was two years older, age to come so fast, galloping upon her like a wild horse where she had been so fast, living too fast, dying early because of her fast life. Now she was eighteen years old and would have no bridal bed but the moon, and though she should have been in the first flush of her youth, just now opening her eyes, she was like an old woman with gray mangy hair, or hair which ought to be gray, and she was closing her eyes. Death had been coming for a long time, Madge had no doubt. Her eyes turning red or purple in the darkness, that ridiculous poodle dog haircut and the chestnut brown curls flecked with gold in the wing-like movements of her arms, Madge remembered, just as he had been remi- just as he had reminded her, for she had almost forgotten of herself what the girl had looked like. Now Madge asked, what could the boys have seen in her, even when she was young and they were young? She had had, from Madge's point of view, no feminine charm, no allure. She had never worn perfume, not even ash of roses. She had not even painted her lips. She had been angular and thin-boned and had never seemed attractive to Madge, who believed that a girl should paint herself, show her best face to the world. Now the Jacqueline was old, dragging one foot after the other, going to her grave, just as Madge had said, and how could that old thing be even more attractive to the boys and the old married men than she had been before she had lost her beauty and her charm, and how could she still seem to be drawn then? How could she still seem to draw them by a thread, a silken cable? She had lost her job at the sawmill. She had lost her job at the restaurant. She was not even working at the restaurant anymore because of those germs she had been spreading out to the customers, trying to take the whole town with her. And when she went, it seemed thinking she would never be lonely over there, for she had never been lonely over here. Fellows would drink a glass of water to show that they were good sports and that they still loved her, and that she had always brought them good luck. She had always been surrounded by the old football crowds talking of the old touchdowns, the old baseball crowds talking of the old home runs, the old hunters talking of the old dogs, the old athletes, and they were still surrounding her, and that, it seemed to Madge, was Jacqueline all over again always so inconsiderate of other people's feelings. But now old time had caught, up, had caught up with her, with Jacqueline who had thought she was outside its reach, but who was no different from all the others, for she was old and gray. Time was no respecter, man said, of persons. Time cut down them all, the young and the old. The county health agent, even though he was Jacqueline's father's cousin by marriage, had finally forced her to quit working because it was not the malaria poisoning the air, because it was something else, something galloping, the galloping, galloping consumption she was spreading around. She said that her lungs were spotted with black spots like a clouded sky before the rain.